You're listening to Nash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo. Welcome back. Сьогодні усі українці світу стараються зробити все можливе і неможливе для своїх рідних, для своєї батьківщини, для того, щоб підтримати українську армію, українських захисників, українських людей і навіть людей, які тікають через кордон в інші країни у пошуках безпечного місця. Усі-усі стараються зробити щось корисне, щось добре, надати допомогу, зробити все можливе. Ось навіть вчора, друга година ночі, але я дивлюся, сидять в інтернеті люди, спілкуються, шукають варіанти купити медичні засоби, купити засоби захисту. Спілкуються про те, як, як, яку допомогу надати біженцям. І практично кожен із нас не може спокійно ночі спати, вже немає таких розваг, як раніше було. Усі, усі вільний час і навіть у Весь персональний час часто йде на, на те, щоб на, на, зробити і надати найбільшу допомогу, яка тільки можливо. Причому зробити це дуже швидко, дуже ефективно. І сьогодні у нашій передачі буде багато людей, які будуть розповідати про їхні варіанти допомоги, про те, що можна зробити, що вони планують ще зробити «In our show». I invite many people who will tell about their ideas, about their help. And uh, it's not only Ukrainians. That's all people, local people I know in Canada and uh, on Vancouver Island, in Vancouver, of course, uh, local communities, indigenous communities. And if you have any questions, please let us know. We will provide more information, more contacts.
Today our guest is Lesia Kuzik. I know Lesia from Ukrainian choir Kalina in Victoria. This choir is the center of Ukrainian community in Victoria. Thank you, Oksana. Thank you very much. Uh, yes, as you said, my name is Lasha Kuzik. I was born in Toronto in 1976. Um, my parents are both uh, from Ukraine. And, well, of U- they're Ukrainian. Um, I my, my father's family comes from Halichina, so which is today on, on the western side of the, of the Polish-Ukraine border. Um, my father was born in a place called Belusia, which is now in Poland. Um, but after World War II, they were uh, part of the Akcja Wisła, and his family was relocated to uh, former German territory in northern Poland. And in 1958, his family went from Polish immigration laws changed and relaxed a little bit in 1958. His family came to Canada to, to join his mother's sisters who had come early in, in the 1900s. And on my mother's side, my mother was born in Belgium in 1947. And she was born to two Ukrainian people who were in Belgium as refugees. After World War II, my grandmother was captured from, uh, I, I don't know exactly which village, but around Lviv. Uh, she was captured when she was about 16 years old and taken to Germany to work. Um, at, I, I think she worked on a farm in Germany um, it, towards the war effort for the Germans. But then upon liberation, she moved to, to Belgium. And so that's where my mother was born. And then when she she was three years old in 1950. Their family came to Canada and they came to Timmins, Ontario. So I was born in Toronto, like I said, and born in 1976. And it wasn't until 1980 that I spoke English uh, because in Toronto, as many people know, the, the, the Ukrainian community and diaspora is, is very, very strong. And so not only did I have my family to, to speak with, in Ukrainian, I had a whole, a whole community of, of um, church friends and um, preschool friends, and we all spoke Ukrainian. And I didn't have to speak English until I was in kindergarten. But then after that, uh, Toronto has three uh, schools in which public schools in which they pay for education, and so. I was lucky enough to go to Svetovnetria, uh, the school in Etobicoke in the west end of Toronto. And we had everyday Ukrainian language lessons. And then after I finished, I went from junior kindergarten to grade eight, and I had Ukrainian language every day. I had historia, literatura, grammatica, and what else did we have? Geografia. Uh, so we learned Ukrainian geography, history, uh, literature, and Ukrainian grammar. After I finished grade eight, I went I went to Saturday schools, uh, Saturday school, and went to grade 13. I got my, at that time, I got my Ontario academic credit in, in Ukrainian language and Ukrainian, I, we call it Ukrainian, so Ukrainian knowledge. So, 
after that, I moved to uh, when I when I, I went to the University of Victoria, and so I moved away from my family, sadly, um, because I left a very rich Ukrainian culture there. And when I came to Victoria, I, I didn't at that time there there weren't the, the Ukrainian community. I didn't find the Ukrainian community twenty twenty two years ago that I've that I've come to know now. Um, anyway. I joined the I joined the Salka dancers I, as a dancer, and my daughter danced with the Salka dancers. And I then saw Kalina choir perform once with the in in collaboration with the Salka dancers, and thought I've always wanted to sing with the choir, and I did as a kid, but I I'd never uh, done it as an adult. So I joined Kalina choir and made some fabulous connections with with um, with some really great Ukrainian people so I'm really happy to have made that connection and so um, I guess Oksana now the, the the project that I, I wanted to talk to you about was yes yes I would yes I would like to mention to you you have uh, as I heard you have a big passion in Ukrainian embroidery and your your interest is uh, embroidery from different regions, like ethnic clothes, right? It is, yeah. So I am. I Ukrainian embroidery is is incredible. I mean, and every region has such such. Every region is so diverse. Um, Ukraine has a very diverse. Ah, how do I explain it? Oh yes, we are, yes, we all know that. And uh, what I discovered in Canada, uh, this culture, like uh, authentic culture, is preserved very well. And mm-hmm. uh, if in Soviet Union we lost some knowledge uh, because of changed history of not deep research, not deep dig, I would say in the past. Uh, mm-hmm. We had a lot of um, information and books with misinformation. And mm-hmm. uh, yes, here we have more, uh, better chance, I would say, to see what was was real Ukrainian clothes, like ethnic. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. And so that's, I love to know about embroidery and you're probably the perfect person we can talk more <laughs> after even after show, right? Yes. Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I don't claim to know a lot about embroidery. I just know that I love, I love it. And I remember, as a child, my mom, my mother had a closet where she had all these rushniki and vishivan um, bluske and servetke, like all the, there was just this place in my in my parents' house where we have this huge collection and I remember always pulling it out and looking and touching thing touching all all the embroidery and smelling it. And over time, in particular the last time I visited my mother in um twenty twenty, I you know, I got I heard the stories about a lot of these pieces of embroidery and where they came from and how she came to have them. And I took photos of these, all the, all the embroidery in, in my mother's and father's collection. And, and one thing 
in particular that always, always fascinated me was this, this gorgeous linen, um, so it's a woman's blouse. It's hand sewn. Um, and the, the, the embroidery is so unique. The colors are so unique. They're orange and navy blue and green and different from anything I'd ever really seen. Um, the pattern is really geometrical and unique. Um, but the thing about this blouse that always interested me and intrigued me was that it's, it's unfinished. So whoever created the blouse didn't, didn't sew up the side seams or they did at one point, but then they came out and also the, the front piece that, that's usually quite ornate. Somebody had at one point in time sewn a piece on the front, but it, it had been removed over time. And well, I asked my father, tell me about this blouse because he told me that it came from his mother and his father's house. When his father passed away, he said, I didn't get many things, but what I did get is this bluska and this surochka. Um, and so I still don't know the history of this um, bluska, but what I do believe uh, to be true about it is that it probably came with my grandparents when they came to Canada in 1958. And it's very likely that my grandfather made the linen that the... Um, that the Yuska and the Sorochka are made, made from. Um, and the reason I think this is because when I talked to uh, one of my, my Chacha Hanya, my, my aunt, <laughs> my father's older sister, who was born in 1935, she, she told me, she said, you know, I remember we had a, we had a, a big loom in, in the house, in, in, um, I think it, they were maybe living in Timti or Borovahura. I, I know those are the those are the town, the names of the um, villages where my family lived. She said, "I remember the loom was in the living room, and I re, I can and I remember picking the flax and and you know preparing it so that we could make the linen. And I remember Aww. we had bedding made we had bedding made out of the linen, and so." That's why I think that this blue scar is made from from linen that my grandfather my grandfather made. Um, and I, in twenty twenty, amazing. I, yes, they made linen themselves at home. Yes, wow. yes, that's amazing. Yeah, and, it is pretty yeah, neat. and then, well, in twenty twenty, my my father passed away, and I was. Just you know, devastated about that, and I thought, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to. For, for around the time of this funeral, we pulled all, I pulled all this embroidery out, and I was looking at it and really, you know, trying to find answers about the bluska and the and the sorochka. And anyways, I photographed all of all of all of the embroidery in the collection, and when I came back to Victoria. I made a set of of cards for my mother and for the doctors who cared who care, provided care to my father at the at the end of his life, and sent a few. You know, I made a set of ten cards, and so I sent them to a few other people, and everybody really loved them. And on the back of the card, I wrote "Nashi Nashi so our treasures. And for me, you know, my my um, 
my biggest treasure from my father is not the gold wedding ring that he gave to me, um, his wedding ring. But for me, it's really the embroidery. Uh, mm-hmm. He said, I want you to have, I want you to have Yuska and I want you to have the Sorochka because these are our treasures. So I wrote a note on each on each of the cards explaining that um, the embroidery and uh, on the I've, I've made photographs, pasted them on cards, and then explained that the embroidery is from my family collection. It comes from Halachana. It's you know probably this old, and uh, so that sort of now that sort of. Um, my the my where my fascination with the Ukrainian embroidery kind of stops because I don't I don't embroider myself I I mean I have embroidered but not in a in sort of in a real technical sense I've um, not in the way that my ancestors did certainly and I I understand you've taken some courses in in Ukrainian embroidery but I I haven't done any any work in any particular technique and I, I don't all I know is that the you know I know what a Nizrinka stitch is I guess that's a satin stitch and um yeah I'm just I just I just love looking at Ukrainian embroidery that sounds very interesting I think we have to make uh, embroidery club because uh, we are two already talk mm, before yeah. about embroidery and you now here you have a lot of like old experience and you have a lot of samples like old old samples and probably yeah. yes uh, and uh, tell me or tell us not me only but us about your idea about postcards right Yes. Yeah. Well, let me just, I just wanted to follow up on what you said about the club. It, I, it would be a great idea. It might, in, um, might actually get me to finish the blue skin that, mm-hmm. my, that, I, that my grandmother made. But um, my idea now is, um, it's a fundraising idea I had. And based on sort of the experience I had of making the cards for um, my mother and for my father's doctors, I have this idea to to create art cards, so greeting cards with photographs of, of embroidery and Ukrainian embroidery. And initially I thought, oh, I have enough photos to make a beautiful set of 10 cards from my own family collection. And so I just was thinking about what I would, what kind of a message I would write on the back of these cards and there would be blank cards on the inside. Um, and, but then uh, When I was at choir last Friday, our choir director said, girls, and we have one man, <laughs> and Brian, what are we going to do for, for, um, to, help, to help our brothers and sisters fighting this war? And, you know, we, everybody said, well, we're all doing something. And so our, our, our strength really is our song. And, You know, we we can we can sing because that's what we do as a choir. We sing, so we, you know, we've we've attended rallies and we we attended a sort of um, a, um, a benefit concert on the legislature on Sunday. And anyhow, so we all agreed that 
singing was was one way that we would contribute in addition to markets and and the garage sales and you know everybody else doing some kind of fundraising but what i thought was about my embroidery project i thought why not open this this idea up to the members of the choir and then that way when i make the sets of cards i it'll it'll be we'll have a really diverse um set of embroidery from different regions of Ukraine and and each of them each of the cards the photographs on on the cards is going to have a, a story that'll be told on the back of the cards and and that'll help connect you know Ukrainian people with other Ukrainian people but also with with broader Canadian society so um that's this is my idea to to print I'd like to print a thousand cards and uh, ten in, in ten designs. I have ten photos that I'll that I'll that I'll print a hundred of and hope to sell them at markets. And I think in in sets of ten or sets of five. And I think they'll be really beautiful cards. And I think it'll be a, a great way to raise some funds for. I'm not I'm not exactly sure where the funds will go right just yet, but to something like the Canada Ukraine Foundation or Maple Hope or um, you know, we'll be talking about where the funds will go. But a hundred percent of the proceeds will be donated. That sounds very, very, very good. And I already like listen to you and already imagine this all cards. Probably I will be first who will buy all of not all like hundred efforts, <laughs> but each of one of each design because, yes. And uh, how people can find you? Well, I suppose you know I I haven't I, I'm still in the logistics stage. I, I've just um, gotten quotes from from the from the printing houses that I've that I've contacted. How can people find me? You can I suppose you could find me on Facebook or email me. Is uh, what's the best? What's the best way? The best way. Maybe Ukrainians in Victoria? Are you in this group? Yes, I'm definitely okay. in Ukrainians in Victoria. Yeah, my name is L-E-S-I-A-K-U-Z-Y-K. You can find me in Ukrainians in Victoria or on Facebook. And um, oh, that's probably a good way. Yes, sounds great. Okay. Yeah, you can message yeah. me that way. Yes, and uh, we will talk today... Uh, with organized of Ukrainian market, and I don't know mm -hmm. if uh, these cards will be ready for the next market. I'm Do not know? sure. I'm I sure. Please welcome to the Ukrainian Cultural Center every Sunday. Mm -hmm. Follow the information about time, and you can find these cards. Mm -hmm. And also, mm -hmm. also ask ask us on group Ukrainians in Victoria. Yes. If you're not in yes, Victoria, yes, you can ask us yes, and, and get these yes. cards. I plan also to uh, set set up a, a few local businesses with the cards as well. So, yeah, I'll I'll have more information when when everything's sort of a little closer to production time. Yes, sounds very yeah. very interesting. Uh, uh, it was uh, Lesia Kuzik our singer from Ukrainian choir, Kalina. Okay, thank you, Lesia, and hope thank to you, hear from you soon. 
and hope. Yes, yes you uh, and hope to see all these cards. Thank you, bye Oksana. Thank you so much. Ви слухаєте наш голос Радіо Українського коріння, котре подається вам на хвилі CHLY 101.7 FM у місті Нанайму. І з вами Оксана і Павліна. You're listening to Dash Holos Ukrainian Roots Radio on CHLY 101.7 FM in beautiful downtown Nanaimo with your hosts Oksana and me, Pavlina.
This is Irena Bell, producer and host of the Ukrainian Hour on Chin Radio in Ottawa, with a Did You Know Chisnalevi segment, and special greetings to the listeners of Nasholos. Did you know that the first institute of higher education in Eastern Europe was in Kiev? The Kiev Mohila Academy was founded in 1615 in Kiev and was the first in the region of its kind. In 1658, it was the first in Eastern Europe to earn the title Academy. Open to young men from all social strata, the Academy attracted students and scholars not only from Ukraine, but from many European nations, and many of its graduates continued their studies in European universities. From among those who graduated from the Kiev Mohila Academy were renowned philosophers, economists, theologians, influential cultural personalities, as well as important political leaders of Ukraine, Russia, Poland, Serbia, Bulgaria, and other countries. This information is from the Embassy of Ukraine. Many thanks to Irena Bell of the Ukrainian radio program in Ottawa for sharing Chisnalave, Did You Know, with Nasholis listeners. You can catch her show Sundays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which is, of course, 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, streaming live at www.chinradioottawa.com.
Corner book reviews by Myra Junik, Ukrainian stories in English. In this edition of Knishka Corner, we will be discussing Yuri Kostenko's book, Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament: A History. Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament: A History, published by the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University outlines the factors which led Ukraine to sign the Budapest Memorandum in 1994. This agreement denuclearized the country. It also questions whether this was the right decision for Ukraine's future. Yuri Kostenko's insider account will help readers understand the power dynamics involved with Ukraine's fateful decision to give up its nuclear weapons in the mid-1990s, leaving Ukraine vulnerable to Russian aggression. In 2014, 20 years after the Budapest Memorandum was signed, Russia annexed Crimea and supported an insurgency in eastern Ukraine. The first chapter, An Infant in a Grown-Up's Game, outlines the influences which impacted Ukraine's initial decision-making. In July 1990, as the Ukrainian parliament was drafting the Declaration of State Sovereignty of Ukraine, Ivan Drach, the leader of Narodnei Ruch, suggested that perhaps nuclear weapons 
should be banned on Ukrainian territory. This was a new and controversial idea. After the dissolution of the Soviet Union, Ukraine was left with the third largest nuclear arsenal in the world after the United States and Russia. Russia wanted complete nuclear disarmament of all former Soviet republics other than Russia. Russia would then take ownership of these nuclear armaments, giving them increased power, influence, and financial benefits. It would also remove all potential nuclear threats on its doorstep. Russians believed that Ukraine was still a part of Russia, and therefore Ukraine should readily comply with Russia's wishes. The United States also wanted to prevent the proliferation of nuclear weapons, and they preferred to maintain the status quo by moving the nuclear weapons to Russia. Subsequent chapters outline the torturous process which led to Ukraine's nuclear disarmament and the resulting weakening of its international status. In its early days of independence, Ukraine lacked a robust political, economic, and security decision-making structure. It was heavily reliant on Russian-influenced leaders. Russia and the United States moved ahead diplomatically, assuming Ukraine would eventually give up its nuclear arsenal. They negotiated the START I and START II treaties with very little Ukrainian input. Meanwhile, Ukrainian parliamentarians examined issues of payment for nuclear materials and retention of some weaponry. Ukraine's national interests and a distinct understanding that Russia was not our ally in this process were central to the development of the Nuclear Disarmament Action Plan. In 1994, the United States started belatedly supporting Ukrainian independence from Russian influence. However, with the election of President Kuchma and his new parliament in 1994, those Ukrainian diplomatic players who understood the potential risks were sidelined. In the end, Ukraine capitulated and signed the Budapest Memorandum. They believed their sovereignty would be protected in the future. Yuri Kostenko's account is a thorough examination of a difficult subject. As Ukraine's Minister of Environmental Protection and Nuclear Safety from 1992 to 1998, he participated in many of the discussions and negotiations relating to Ukraine's nuclear status. Based on previously unavailable documents, Kostenko gives readers insight into the Ukrainian parliamentary debates about Russian and American proposals for nuclear disarmament. These international partners exerted pressure on the newly independent Ukraine. In the end, Ukraine had little choice but to give up its nuclear arsenal to Russia. As a result, Ukraine was now virtually defenseless against Russian aggression. In 2014, when Russia invaded Crimea and eastern Ukraine, those countries who had guaranteed 
Ukraine's borders, did not live up to their commitments. Koskenta tells readers, paper agreements and friendly pats on the back do not work in the contemporary world. This book will appeal to a variety of readers interested in Ukraine's history, nuclear disarmament, international politics, and Russian aggression. This dense but well-written text is thoroughly researched. Academics will appreciate the documents in the appendices, as well as the detailed footnotes. The photographs and biographical text boxes about key players in Ukraine's nuclear disarmament are also important to the historical record. Yuri Kostenko is a Ukrainian politician and leader of the Ukraine People's Party. From 1990 to 2014, he was a member of the Parliament of Ukraine. In the years 1992 to 1998, he joined the cabinet with portfolios governing environmental protection and nuclear safety. Kostenko was a top-level representative of Ukraine in the negotiations with the Western powers and Russia on the denuclearization of Ukraine in the 1990s. Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament, a History, was published by the Ukrainian Research Institute at Harvard University, Huri. Kostenko currently lives in Kiev, Ukraine. Ukraine's Nuclear Disarmament, a History, is available at Amazon and Huri Books. Thanks, Myra. Join us again soon for another edition of Kanishka Corner, book reviews by Myra Junik, here on Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio. Нехай дістається церквам з горгулами, 
Mi prostu z tuboją dłoń Połulaję Na berzy ryczki Jako elemaje And with that, we come to the end of this week's show. Please join Oksana Pobodeznik next week at 11 a.m. for another edition of Nasholos Ukrainian Roots Radio here on CHLY 101.7 FM in Nanaimo. In between broadcasts, please visit our Facebook page and our website www.nasholos.com. Наша передача підходить до кінця. Бажаю вам гарного дня. До зустрічі наступної середи о цій же годині 11 ранку до першої дня. Нагадую, ви слухали наш голос Радіо Українського коріння на хвилі CHLY 101.7 у місті Нанаймо. З вами цю годину була я, Оксана Побережник. Всього доброго. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now.